0: Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. I'm your host, Sarah Buino. I'm a psychotherapist, teacher, consultant, and most importantly, a wounded healer living and working in Chicago, Illinois. On this show, I interview folks in a variety of healing professions, and we discuss the intersectional journey of healing self while caring for others. We're not just focused on individual healing, but also healing on the collective level from white supremacy, late-stage capitalism,
1: and the patriarchy. Thanks for joining us. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. I'm Anne. I'm Sarah. <laughs> Sarah's here with me. We're both here. Yes. And just to get us started, a reminder, you can support this podcast. We have some lovely merch that you can purchase by going to tinyurl.com CWHmerch. That's tinyurl.com cwh M E R C H. You can also rate and review us on Apple Podcast which makes us look really good and helps other people find us. And you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash convos with a wounded healer. That's patreon.com slash convos with a wounded healer. If you gift something to us on Patreon and you're in the United States, you'll send us, send you you'll send a out a welcome, welcome gift. gift. Yeah. And if you're in the UK and you support us, I'll send you out a welcome gift. And if you're in neither country, we'll just send you out a nice vibe. Yes.
0: (laughs) That sounds perfect. That's perfect. And everyone gets good vibes regardless of where you live. Well, yeah, everybody gets good vibes. Right, right so uh, thanks to the magic of podcasting we have already like said how you're doing today it's funny i listen to other podcasts where i know that they're recording like their intros at the same time but is there anything else you want to share about how you're doing today even though you just shared with me five minutes ago but the listeners haven't heard you for two
1: weeks (laughs) Uh (laughs) (laughs) how will i be feeling two weeks from now yeah right i'm really excited uh because by the time, well, I've, I've just finished planning a vacation, Ooh. so I'm going hiking in Slovenia for a week by myself in wow. July, which I'm really excited about. Dan is so. quite the adventurer, y'all. Well, I just, I love traveling, but I love hiking alone, and it's a nice grounding, relaxing situation where there's just enough danger and also not actually any danger. Right. (laughs)
0: Yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. I'm obsessed with plants right now. I have always lived in, well, that's not true. I have lived in sunny places before, but since I started taking interest in plants, I have lived in the same place that didn't get enough light for my plant babies. And now I've moved to Skokie and I have a skylight and we have so much gorgeous sunlight that streams into my home. So get my plants were growing. And everyone's like, that's what they do. But not in my old house. They didn't. Well, that's not what
1: they do in my house. And we get plenty of light. So I don't know. (laughs) I don't know what I'm doing wrong. But Mm -hmm. you're doing something right. And it's not just the light. Right. Well, I
0: mean, I used to just sort of be like I want you to be pretty for me and now I actually like talk to them and I like look at them every day right. and yeah, I've just like noticed these little sprouts coming up and so I pr- I propagated.
1: I'm definitely not doing that. So maybe I'm not giving my plants the emotional I they support definitely that need they more need. emotional support. <laughs> yeah, I listen. <laughs> Listen, I don't have the time or the energy. I'm sorry, plants.
2: Mm-hmm. I would mm-hmm. love
1: to be a plant person. In my heart, yeah. I'm a plant person. Yeah. But in my house, I am just not. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I, yeah, I decided to prioritize it now.
1: And great.
0: Yeah. It's great. And that's probably part of the like yay working from home for me is that yeah. like in between sessions or, you know, in between whatever, I can like love on my plant babies. It's very
1: fun. In between sessions, I'm chasing my dogs (laughs) outside or trying to shove food into my mouth. So one day I'll get to the point where I can nicely tend to plant babies. I believe it. I believe it. How much older
0: am I than you? I'm 44. I'm 35.
1: Okay. Yeah. So
0: I got about 10 years on you. There's probably something in me that like, because I didn't have children, I need to nurture something and that's, it's plants. So plants and my baby
1: batman yeah and i'm just so focused on my dogs that yes they get all my emotional support to be fair
0: (laughs) yes as they should (laughs) maybe too much as they should yeah so thanks to again the magic of podcasting um we don't have a a guest interview uh yet (laughs) that i'm actually going to be recording it this afternoon so we wanted to talk a little bit about adjacent sort of topics to what i know uh today's guest courtney is i I can just predict what she's going to talk about polyvagal stuff and the body I had a session with my therapist yesterday. I just signed up to work with a dietitian, and it's a practice that is very rooted in like fat liberation, like non diet sort of things. And I have always had major, like, I don't know if it's anxiety, like I'm like doing this gesture of like pushing away. Like there's just something about dealing with. My body dealing with the way I feel about my body with food that I'm like, not int- I've just not had the space for it emotionally, energetically, psychologically. And so I was talking about this all with my therapist yesterday and realizing like it's time. I've created the container that now I do have the space emotionally, energetically, psychologically, physically to tolerate it. And I'm scared.
1: Okay. It's scary. Yeah. It is scary. I um and I think it's important to recognize that it's scary because yeah. nobody says that. Yeah. Especially after a, a lifetime of certain attitudes and certain behaviors, and this is you know, you can apply this to anything, but um wow. I think especially with food, because it's you can't quit food cold turkey. Right. You can't, you know, it's not something you can cut out, it's not something you can avoid. Right. And so yeah, I you know, my relationship with food and with my body has changed over the years and it's only in the past few years that I've been able to kind of cultivate a healthier relationship and to look at food as nourishment and mm-hmm. and to really think about it maybe just to be more mindful with it. So um yeah, I think we'll all benefit from being with you on that journey Mm. um and thank you for bringing it because i think it's it's not something we talk about enough
0: yeah yeah i mean i i've mentioned on here before the podcast maintenance phase which has been really enlightening for me to because i'm intrinsically entrenched in fat being bad and fat looking a a particular way. And my entire life, I've called myself fat. (laughs) And it's like, I have been a multitude of sizes and shapes. And it's just, I'm tired of it. And I'm tired of having that imprint in my psyche. And I'm hopeful that I can get out of my own way enough to help the dietitian help me (laughs) because I'm very good at being like, that's not going to work because of X, Y, Z. And so instead Mm. of saying that's not going to work, I'm going to say, I want to say that's not going to work because of X, Y, Z. And I want you to help me. I want you to help me create more space for
1: this suggestion. Mm. And it's interesting you talking about this kind of journey with food And then having someone talking about polyvagal theory, because one of the things that I've done recently is as I've changed my relationship with my food, now being more purposeful Mm -hmm. with my food. And I've been working a lot with feeding my gut microbiome Mm -hmm. because I'm finding out how much it has to do with everything, with our hormones, with our mental state, with everything that gets released into our bodies. And there's a lot about The gut microbiome that goes with polyvagal theory as well. Hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. Rad. I'm glad you're doing that. I'm glad you're doing
0: what you're doing. Thanks. All right. Well, shall we introduce today's guest that I will be talking to in the future? Yeah. Okay. So. Courtney Rolfe is a psychotherapist, trainer, and speaker who uses the wisdom of the nervous system to guide and inform her clinical work. Courtney is passionate about teaching other healing professionals about the nervous system through the lens of polyvagal theory. So please enjoy my lovely conversation with Courtney Rolfe. Therapists who are new grads, I have an offer for you. Being a therapist is not for the faint of heart, especially in our current global circumstances, and in order to develop into a grounded and seasoned clinician, early career therapists need support to learn how to care for themselves while working with clients. I've created a group offering for new therapists who want to build a solid foundation for their career. This process slash support group will explore the themes of professional identity, the hazards of psychotherapy, burnout, compassion fatigue, and wellness, all within the context of liberation and social justice. We'll meet twice a month for six months on Zoom. You can also get CEUs generously sponsored by Chicago Compass Counseling. The group will start as soon as we generate enough participants. Therapists who have less than two years postgraduate experience are welcome, whether you're a social worker, counselor, psychologist, or marriage and family therapist. For details and to begin registration, visit tinyurl.com slash new therapist group. Hello, Courtney. Hi, Sarah. This is take two for us. <laughs> I know it is. <laughs> yeah, we did this before and we had a beautiful, amazing, lovely, wonderful conversation And our technology failed us. And there was a really terrible sound that my editors couldn't get out. And I was like, can we do this again? And I'm just very grateful because it's annoying to have to do it again. So thank you for being willing
2: to do it. But it's not annoying to sit here and have a conversation with you. Undivided attention. It feels great. So, of course, no problem with that. Thank you. Sarah
0: time is good. Oh yay! Courtney time is lovely. Okay. So
2: <laughs> who are you? What do you do? Tell us all the things. Well, we're speaking mostly to therapists, right? So I guess I can start with that. I'm a the therapist. i practicing psychotherapist in um, Chicago. For now. For now. Yeah. 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 With some big moves coming up. Yeah. Don't really know the timeline, but yeah. Tell us about your
0: trainings and stuff.
2: So I'm a polyvagal enthusiast. That I can say as a who am I. Um polyvagal enthusiast. So very as much as I love my client work, that is about half of what I do. And the other half of what I do is I'm out there training, trying to teach clinicians about nervous system and polyvagal theory and how to bring it into clinical work and all the changes it makes. And I'm definitely a a big enthusiast in that realm. I love it. Yeah. 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 I
0: can't wait to go to your training sometime and see your amazingness in action. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. I know, Love well, to have it would you. be fun. Well, and I I think I asked you this question before. I probably did. And I don't even remember the answer. So I'm going to be surprised all over again. Tell us your origin story of becoming a therapist.
2: Let's see. I'm a career changer. So I started down the path that was most encouraged, which was more sort of like organizational, businessy, whatever. And I always knew that that wasn't going to be fulfilling. Mm. In the end, I liked it day to day. I was really good at it day to day. And it was cool to be in these sort of bigger corporate environments and things and making big things happen. But um, I knew that there was a a human element missing, like a connection element of realness and authenticity. And I knew that I had to find a way to get there. So between that and my own healing journey, which is how so many of us ended up here, Between that and then my own journey and having my own kind of light bulb moment of the moment that stands out to me is that shift out of self-blame, shame narrative, what's wrong with me narrative into, oh, it all makes sense why this is what I do or this is how I act or this is how I'm responding to whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And it clicked in that shift into curiosity. That was such a big experience for me. And this was when I was younger, twenties. Wow. Way back. (laughs) So I think that was sort of the pivotal moment. I don't know that that, at that time I knew I could shift into this career or that I was going to or anything like that. But I know that that was a big shift in. I got to help other people find that same moment in their lives. Wow. I did not have that
0: moment until well within my therapy career. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Yeah, the shame is strong with this one. Well, I'm not saying that eradicated all of the shame-based narratives or that there wasn't plenty of work to do. But I do remember just that little moment of being able to be curious. That was such a different thing.
0: I really didn't. I mean, for me, it was still... It wasn't until I found NARM, because NARM is the only thing that has been able to poke through my struggle with agency. Because I think one has to have access to their agency in order to have access to that curiosity. And I was vehemently pushing the agency away. And NARM was the thing that was like, no, you can do something about this. So there's something scary about being curious? Yeah, yeah, it's for folks who have heard me talk about, Narm I'm forever like, they talk about five different survival styles. And, you know, it's not, it's not like, okay, you are this, and so this is how you act. But those of us whose primary wound was revolving around our agency, then we end up with this autonomy uh, survival strategy, which is always getting in power struggles. Uh-huh. And... Usually those of us with the autonomy survival strategy are also it's it's much more of like something out there is going to make it better. Got it. My own agency was too threatening for me to say that something within here would make it better. So that was like a long <laughs> long journey. And now like I the way I describe it to my therapist cuz yeah, the shame narratives are way there still, but I feel like I believe now that there is self-compassion. I believe that I deserve love, even when the narrative is telling me I don't. And I didn't believe it for most of my life until like the past handful of years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's profound. I know. That's why I love NARM so much because it really like, it gave me the answer that I needed. It's so
2: interesting too, because you have power. You're a powerful person, right? You can kind of feel that in interaction. That's so interesting that that's also sort of that source of fear in the, in the agency Mm -hmm. piece. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't
0: it? Yeah. (laughs) And thanks for saying that. Yeah. 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 Do you have like a a moment like that
2: with polyvagal therapy that was really, I kind of just connected a dot too, right? Because I, Mm. it was curiosity that moment, but it was also like a bit of, The mechanical, oh, of course, this leads to this leads to that, like the workings of the sensical equation where we can Mm. make sense of it. And that kind of feels like what I'm doing with polyvagal and nervous system stuff, too, is the more we understand the biology, the more we understand our physiology, it's almost like those shame stories. There's just nowhere for them to fit in. You can't put them anywhere Mm. once you understand what's happening biologically. And then it gives you the chance to step back and interact with, engage with, understand more, learn more about what's going on with that Shane story. But without getting swept up in it or kind of indulging it as if it's truth, it kind of gives us that observer ability. And so I just yeah. kind of made that connection of, okay, it was curiosity. It was an intrinsic curiosity. And it was also this fascination of like, whoa, humans are really weird and cool. And <laughs> This is what can happen, you know, with humans. I think it was in part curiosity about human behavior, maybe more than, more than myself, maybe even. I don't know. I had to sit with that and think of that.
0: Yeah. Well, for folks who don't know what polyvagal theory is, how would you describe it? Oof. We have how many... <laughs> I I haven't. Right. So yeah, yeah, do do your three hour (laughs) talk in five minutes. Never. I have.
2: (laughs) I have yet to learn a really succinct way to describe it. But essentially, Mm -hmm. what's behind the polyvagal theory, or why we talk about it, is because it's sort of we think of it as the heart of our lived experience. It's underneath all of our experience. It's sort of the the thing that happens before all the rest of the stuff happens. It's the reaction. It's the experience that our body has before our thoughts or feelings or emotions or behaviors or anything catch up. So it's like a, an intervening variable. So when we understand where our nervous system is, we can make sense of our whole experience in a little bit of a different way. And polyvagal theory kind of has some specific stuff that helps us organize what this is I'm talking about mm-hmm. in a nutshell. One is our nervous system is constantly detecting and responding to danger. So that might be danger from like other people's, I don't know, other people, other people's nervous systems that are dysregulated, other people's facial expression, Mm -hmm. could be environment, you know, background noises or whatever it is. Everybody's nervous system is different, but we're constantly taking in all these cues of safety and danger. And our system is finding that kind of work in the equation of do I need to be in a protective survival state right now or am I safe enough to keep those defenses down? And so it's reacting and responding constantly. And this is all happening underneath our awareness. So that alone is so liberating to know this is not a thinking process. The way my nervous system responds is not a choice that I'm making. It's not a process I can outthink or the insight is going to be able to really touch (laughs) without some additional work. And that's like where we start to lose the grip on that. What's wrong with me narrative. Right. Yeah.
0: It's just making me think I recently went to Washington, D.C. and instantly on the plane, like the girl sitting next to me, I was so offended by her nervous system.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Your nervous system did not like hers.
0: (laughs) It did not. And I like I was like, I set this energetic shield between us that made me feel better. But then when I got off the plane, just like the energy in D.C., I did not like. And it just you know, the way that you describe it of our nervous systems trying to figure out what it needs to protect. I can only imagine if you lived in a place that felt like it was constantly putting out threat and most of it is going, you know, unnoticed, like, no wonder we have like chronic illnesses and all sorts of shit that gets in the way.
2: Because our nervous system is working really hard. And so there's something really powerful In learning how and especially, you know, teaching our clients how to at least name the things that our system is responding to that we might not realize. So, you know, we can all look around our space in this Mm -hmm. moment right now and maybe identify something that is communicating a lot of safety and resource to our system and probably something in the environment that is bringing in a sense of danger that our system is creating an equation and responding accordingly. And so we're always doing that constantly. And yeah, it is under our awareness. So it is pretty liberating to start naming the things on a conscious right. level because we're bringing our cognition into this implicit experience right. that is supposed to happen underneath our conscious awareness.
0: And to be able to then make choices, right? Because there might be like, yeah. Washington, D.C. is not a place that feels good. So I'm probably not going to go back there unless I'm getting paid to do so, right? Yeah. Like. I've noticed such a major shift in my system since moving to Skokie, just outside of the city. Like, it's so quiet. There's just things feel grounded here. It's just so different. And I never I never even noticed being in Chicago for 20 years. I didn't even notice that there was something until it wasn't there anymore. How long was that shift for you? Was that immediate or was there an unsettled immediate. feeling? Like the, the first night we laid in bed after like, you know, there's chaos when you're moving and, you know, we've got the mattress on the floor and we're laying in bed. And Rich was like, do you hear that? And I was like, no, <laughs> I hear nothing but quiet. And it felt quiet,
2: too. Yeah. And it's really interesting. And this is a perfect example of how everybody's nervous system is so different my nervous system gets a lot of comfort from hearing all the noise around. I'm in a pretty populated, densely mm-hmm. mm-hmm. populated neighborhood here in the city. And, and there are lots of noises all the time. And there's something for me that that brings a sense of safety to. And sometimes when I yeah. sometimes not all the time, but when I go in a space that's too quiet, I feel a bit of unease because, you know, if I so first there's that body experience, right? I feel some unease. And then when I bring my brain in to try to make sense of it, why might I feel unease? My best guess is I feel safety in having people available and accessible if I need help or something like that. Mm-hmm. And out in a more secluded place, I don't feel that connection to the humans around me as much. And so I think that's my cue of danger when it's too quiet. Even though quiet can be really nice. So if certain circumstances, yeah, my system can settle. But in a home like my home, it takes some adjustment. Yeah. Yeah. So, beautiful example as nervous systems are wired differently. We can't assume anything about yeah. anybody's cues of safety and danger ever. We never know what somebody's responding to. And does
0: it change over time? Because what my therapist had said to me was that I've developed a tolerance for calm that I never had before. And the way that I, I didn't really think about it from a nervous system perspective. I thought of it like, you know, I grew up in a household where the chaos was unnamed and it was all going on internally for the family members. And so constantly feeling some level of activity was normal. And it took me time to be able to find safety in the calm cuz i would i would have said the same thing and so i'm just thinking cuz i don't think that one is better than the other so i'm wondering if like was my nervous system obviously like responding it responded in the way it needed to to survive but basically my question is does it change or was i just functioning in a way that was never good for my nervous system and then i f- now i finally found it
2: yeah Oh my gosh. Perfect segue into point number two <laughs> <laughs> about polyvagal theory. I love yeah. it. So perfect. All right. So we're going to pause on that and we're going to circle back around to it because it's super relevant. Please. But let me just yeah. kind of lay out for anyone for anyone who knows polyvagal theory, they're going to be, yeah, yeah, yeah. But some of the basic principles that we want to kind of know about what we're talking about is this theory proposes that we have very survival states. Our most highly developed, most recently evolved kind of everything's in homeostasis and working the way we are really designed to work is when we're in this top layer of like ventral vagal. That's when we have Mm -hmm. regulated nervous systems. And Mm -hmm. so this is the space that we have the ability to connect with ourselves, with others. We have access to compassion, empathy, possibilities, creativity. There's so much that we can use in our potential. So it might be great joy and it might be really peaceful, calm the common denominator in this state is our system is in homeostasis. The system that is most highly evolved is kind of in charge of our heart rate, our lungs, our whole body is working harmoniously in this state. If we experience a threat that is beyond our capacity in that state to manage, we go into, predictably, we go to the next level down, which is a survival state, which is going to be sympathetic nervous system. So, Therapists know this state pretty well because this is what clients come in. We talk about anxiety. We have panic attacks, Mm -hmm. anger outbursts, all these things that are sort of energized responses to threats or perceived threats. This is our sympathetic nervous system working. So this is like elevated heart rate, shallow, faster breathing, muscle tension. We might get our adrenaline and cortisol involved, but we can shift into this survival mode. And when we do that, We've lost access to all that beautiful stuff in ventral, like our compassion, self-compassion, flexibility, you know, empathy. We lose access to that because now it's all about survival through action. So we are ready mm-hmm. to go and fight or flee for our lives. If that, so this is where polyvagal kind of veers away and introduces a new way of understanding the nervous system based on you know the findings. Doctor Forges is who originated the polyvagal theory. Deb Dana is mostly who I've learned it for. So I'll circle back around and give them the credit because they're the ones. This is not me. Yeah. I did not do the research. I, <laughs> I'm translating. From you it. didn't make this I up? I did not make this up. <laughs> Believe it or not. <laughs> if I could get through two research articles a week, I've succeeded. So no, this is not me. Yeah. But if sympathetic, that mobilized response doesn't resolve the threat, we shift totally into almost like we do a 180. We shift into a different survival state, meaning we're talking about different circuitry in our system, different branches of the autonomic nervous system take over. And now we go into more of a collapse, like immobilization, shutdown, zero energy in our system. And so our heart rate slows, our blood pressure drops. We might, if it's intense enough, get some natural opioids from our system to numb out any pain. We detach from ourselves. We might have some dissociation. And this is what Our clients come in with saying, I'm really stuck in depression, or I can't find joy in my life, or they're, you know, they're doing everything they need to do, but it feels like it's just like they're going through the motions. Or in a more heightened example, if in a conflict, partner is heightened up here, activated sympathetic nervous system, and then, you know, perhaps your system just plummets. (laughs) You can't, you can't show up, you know, and you just kind of disappear, basically. Mm -hmm. So that's our dorsal vagal. And so basically, polyvagal theory is saying we go in and out, up and down these states all the time. It's a constant fluctuation. So by bringing this awareness in, we can start to learn, where am I? And I'll refer to Doug's work, the ladder. She put this in an organized way on a, on a ladder. So there's a polyvagal ladder, meaning we can climb up, we can climb down. Right. And so if I'm all the way to the bottom of the ladder, I'm in dorsal and I probably want to find a way to climb back up if I'm safe enough to do so. So circling back now to this idea of adjusting to stillness, not to get too technical, but stillness is kind of a combination of that ventral vagal. I feel safe enough. My system is in homeostasis. I am safe and I can be immobile. All my systems can slow down. That could be really hard for people to access and feel really scared of the nervous system because it sounds like if there was that much stuff, I'll use the word chaos because you use the word chaos, even if it was kind of yeah. internal, you felt it as a chaotic yeah. energy. Yeah, It probably wasn't safe to slow down, right? No, not at all. And so even ventral can feel unsafe for some folks yeah. because you only have to be in ventral one or two times, and then have let your guard down and realize you didn't protect yourself, your nervous system learns through experience. Yeah. So it is going to wire up with hey, even if things feel and look and seem safe, I'm going to be ready. <laughs> and so we wire up with that kind of constant activation to keep us safe and keep us protected. So does stillness feel safe to somebody who wired up that way? Not right away. <laughs> Definitely right. not.
0: Yeah, it makes me think of a client that we've been working with relational, relational stuff, and she had a borderline mother. And so relationship is so threatening. And it's been interesting because I want to believe my clients. But at the same time, as an addiction counselor, I've learned you can't always believe what people say. And I always hold I I'll hold out for something else. And So she would come and she would say, say something like she wanted to leave this relationship because it's not safe. And I was kind of something in my gut was like, I don't know that that's true, but that's exactly what you're describing is that when our nervous systems are wired on something chaotic or unsafe, then safety feels threatening.
2: Yes. And we get that. So going back to this idea of neuroception, we have wired up and now we may navigate the world with faulty neuroception. Mm-hmm. So my nerve it's better safe than sorry system. Our nervous system doesn't care about our, you know, uh, I don't know, many other aspects of life. <laughs> it cares about our survival that is it that is its job mm-hmm. is to make sure we survive. And so we can get faulty neuroception where my system is reacting as if there are active cues of danger yeah. when there really aren't. Yeah. And so this is where by naming the neuroceptive cues of safety and danger, we're bringing perception, we're bringing our cognition into the picture. And then I think you might've used this word too, discernment. Yeah. Then we get to start training our nervous system to have a little bit more accurate response system by doing that step. So first I'm going to name what I'm responding to. I'm going to bring my cognition in and then I'm going to ask myself, is this the response that I need right now? Right. Is this danger or is this nervous system discomfort?
0: Yeah. Yes, that's exactly. This week I was like, we got to stop using the term unsafe, like safe or unsafe, because that's not really what's happening. You are safe. So it's comfortable or uncomfortable. (laughs) And because we have enough history, we know that like discomfort doesn't mean that something's actually
2: wrong here. Yeah. I use the term autonomic safety a lot. Mm-hmm. Right? Because that's yeah. sort of like, what are the conditions that my nervous system needs to feel safe? And so bringing that into understand what my nervous system is, is responding to or not, autonomic safety, or at least in a relationship. I think th- about right. that a lot of how do we create autonomic safety for another? And especially if we're a helping professional, If we do nothing else in our job, that is our number one responsibility: is to show up with a regulated nervous system, so that we can provide a space with autonomic safety. And what a beautiful sort of backing we create for somebody whose response is activation, right? If I know I'm checking myself, I'm regulated. I am, you know, broadcasting ventral safety. Yeah, with my, you know, without an agenda, just making sure that space has. Mm -hmm enough room for that person's you know, experience to exist, then when we see that spike in activation, we get to work with it and we get to slowly shape that response by continuing to be in ventral. So this is a third piece, another segue Mm co-regulation we read other people we read other people's nervous systems not on a conscious level but on that nervous system level and we are picking up on cues of where is your nervous system so if i have a client who comes in and gets really activated it's very natural for my assistant to also get activated because it makes sense if my if this person has picked up on a cue of danger i don't need to comprehend what it is on a cognitive level i just want to be ready for it Mm -hmm. whatever it is, right? So if I'm an antelope in the grass and another antelope starts running, I'm just going to run. I'm not going to wait to figure out if it's a tiger or a lion or or what, right? Yeah,
1: exactly. Get the hell out
2: of there. And so it Mm -hmm. makes sense. And we do that too as humans. And so if I'm feeling myself get activated, it is my job and responsibility above all else to make sure I'm tracking that, I know what to do with it. (sighs) I'm resourcing and I am maintaining the safety so that that person's nervous system can then start to take in a different experience. And by naming it, that's where it starts to shift because we're bringing the cognition and the awareness in, right? So by sort of like, we're slowly, slowly, slowly shifting that experience for our clients by maintaining that safe space with them.
0: And this piece is something that we don't get taught in school. and. It's, I'm trying to think as a professor, my students are graduating right now. One of the things I always tell them is as an interviewer for a potential therapist working for me, one of my, my things that I would always judge was, do I feel comfortable in the room with this person? Like if I were the client, do I feel that? And I never named it in a polyvagal way, but that's exactly what it is. Is your nervous system able to create space for or is your nervous system taking up all the space in the room which a lot of new therapists because of the nervousness the anxiety the self-doubt they're not regulated so do you have any thoughts for let's say a new therapist that's sort of walking into the therapy room for the first time scared out of their
2: mind how do they try to invite ventral vagal online this is our work right this is our life work and so what (laughs) definitely a good time to start it, you know, in terms of what do I need to gain my awareness and to resource. So it might be somatics, it might be, you know, it can be all kinds of things. But as a therapist, right, and it kind of made me think of a thing, if I'm going back to that example, if I have a client who's really activated, and my system gets activated, to be able to hold space for that activation without an agenda is maybe that's like a pretty high level skill, but that's where we want to be. Because if, if I'm a client and I've got this activated nervous system and somebody is like, let's get you up to ventral, let's resource, right? Can you see, you know, if you're watching like the body lean in, you know, and that's not a ventral holding space. That's a, I got to do something because it's not okay for you to be there. And then we're adding to that message of there's something wrong right? And so to be able to track, and I think this is going back to the question of what can a therapist do? Embodiment, embodiment, embodiment is, (laughs) yeah, we have to be able to tune in Mm -hmm. to our own system and track. I mean, really just get that relationship going where we can track what are the sensations? What are the clues that I can gain from my bodily experience, my heart rate, my, you know, the feeling in the gut? Like moving my foot, whatever it is. How can I learn from my body where my nervous system is and if I need to bring in a resource to regulate? That comes first before the resourcing. Right,
0: right. And I'm just thinking of the way that we are training therapists is all cognitive. Right. I mean, I'm sure like Naropa probably has some amazing somatic therapy programs that that students come out actually knowing this stuff. But for the most part, what you're getting is academic research based cognitive behavioral therapy. And I always tell my students, like, learn it so you can forget it later because there are some important pieces. But even the best therapists in the world, like let's say the best cognitive behavioral therapists, if they have a dysregulated system and
2: they're not attending to that, There's only so much that you can do. Yeah, because then they're communicating unsafety to their client who's going to pick up on that. And it's not the client's job to be ventral; It's the therapist's job to be ventral, right? So how can CBT happen if this part of the brain is offline? Right. If we're in a survival state, we're not, that is Mm -hmm. not our learning, our best learning selves is not in any kind of survival state. So yeah, absolutely. This is what I like about polyvagal theory. It's not at this point in time, It's not an exact protocol or model, but we can bring it in and reinforce the work that we're already doing. So even if you are a straight up CBT therapist, you can enhance your work and do more with a client with this nervous system awareness and attending to the autonomic safety in the room first. Right. Your own, your clients, the space, the space in between, like all of that.
0: Yeah. And I think that maybe this is part of... Like some some students and some young therapists that I see like really early on just sort of have it, whatever it is, no matter what modality they're practicing. And I, I think this might be the it. Is there some sort of intuitive, Knowing that probably comes from our own childhood trauma that, like I have to be the safe one in this relationship. Maybe I was a parentified child and had to take care of my parents, or you know, whatever. I'm guessing that those of us who kind of had intuitive aptitude at the beginning of our careers sort of did this intuitively without knowing it,
2: yes, yeah, yes, and right. So oh, you had to open up a different door too. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. And now we open the door to this beautiful adaptive survival process of appeasement. Mm. And then we get to kind of step into where does appeasement come from, if that's what you're talking about. And I'm not saying that that's your experience or anyone else, Mm -hmm. but we think about appeasement and it's this really kind of cool, adaptive, cool meaning like doesn't mean it's comfortable or helpful, but cool in terms of like how the nervous system works. It's almost like we are trying to pull somebody else into ventral Mm -hmm. to meet. So it's almost like you might even have one foot in ventral, but you think about appeasement, what's happening. It's an energized response. It's an energized strategy. I'm actively trying to get you to come into ventral with me, right? Because I am safer if you are back in that place where you can see me as a human and you have empathy and compassion and things like that. I could be safer. So just kind of another little like branch off of all this is just which is really interesting of is that person holding space in ventral and can hold space for any nervous system wherever it is or is there a bit of like I know how to get someone regulated and it automatically kind of kicks in not that that's a bad thing just another thing to be aware Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. again in that therapy situation we want to have no agenda
0: Well, and that's so aligned with NARM because that's one of the critiques that NARM has of many therapies is that we're trying to fix or we're trying to help. People. Yeah. And it's like the irony is that the less you try to help people, the more you can actually help people. (laughs) I guess the invitation is connection with yourself and knowing what's going on internally with you is then going to have the relational response will then spontaneously arrive from that instead of thinking about what you say in order to get someone somewhere.
2: Yes. Yes. That's the agenda. Right. And how many of us, we already have a pretty, you know, antagonistic relationship with our nervous systems. We're not liking the nervous system responses we have because we don't understand them and we get stuck in them or they create problems in our lives, right? So anything that's going to reinforce this idea that something's wrong with your nervous system, that's not going to help us befriend our nervous system. We're trying to, in polyvagal, we're trying to do the opposite. We're trying to sort of get into a friendship with this survival response system and, you know, be curious about it, understand it. You know, appreciate it, right? Like (laughs) really see all the protection that that we've had from our nervous system our whole lives. It helped us survive. We're here because our nervous system helped us survive whatever traumas we've experienced along the way. And if there's
0: one thing that we can probably
2: say about all
0: humans that is true is we do not like negative feeling states. (laughs) It's really a challenge to be able to befriend things that don't, quote unquote, feel good, especially I think probably Americans may be worse than other cultures
2: at embracing that, like just being with what is. Yeah, we definitely have a lot of ways we try to get the heck out of there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, which is where, you know, probably it starts to go into your world of how people are, you know, self-regulating or regulating through substances, regulating through you know, addictive, compulsive behaviors, mm-hmm. whatever it is. That's that's kind of what we're trying to mm-hmm. do in these things. We've got this dysregulation. It doesn't feel good. We'll do whatever we can to get out yeah, of it. Exactly.
0: Mm, mm-hmm. So juicy. You're a very, a very good teacher. <laughs> yes. Why, well, thank you so yes. much.
2: <laughs> so we did do a whole polyvagal in five minutes or whatever. And it wasn't really five minutes. but But
0: you're that good is what I'm saying.
2: I mean, I feel like I live and breathe it. I really do. I think it's so important. And I really enjoy teaching people because I did a thing yesterday. I spoke up in Wisconsin yesterday. And some of the feedback from the participants is, you know, one guy said, I've been doing this for like 25 years. And he was more CBT kind of focused. And I've gone to every training you can think of along the way, which 25 years in practice, yeah, he has probably gone to like every training. And he said, this is, it has me stepping back and reassessing what am I doing exactly? Yeah, How do I use this to shift? And so it kind of created this and he was kind of, it created a shift, right? And so it's that kind of, that's the same reaction I had when I went to my first training in polyvagal. And it's not the polyvagal is the end all be all, but it is a way that is very intuitive, that we can understand our experience and shift what we already know. Mm -hmm. And so with that, I do want to like step back to, again, credit. This is not, I am not the original (laughs) polyvagal theory. It is a theory that was developed, you know, I think it was first published in the 90s. The research started in the 70s. Dr. Stephen Porges, he's a researcher, not a clinician, but. Put this information out there trying to understand some of the different nervous system responses. He started in the NICU studying babies oh, who were preemie and wow. didn't have everything developed yet and were really suffering with some health outcomes. He got a question mark about what is happening here. And that led him down the path of how the nervous system actually we are not acknowledging this other response that our nervous system has. So then trauma therapists paid attention and said, wait a second, this is a missing piece. This is a missing piece that we need. And so, since then, there's been a lot of collaboration in the trauma therapy world. And so, he wrote the polyvagal theory, which, if you've ever tried to read it, just give yourself lots of time and patience and maybe have like a scientific dictionary <laughs> around or do it on Kindle so you can, you can research the word. Mm. But Deb Dana, who's a, a clinical social worker, she was able to get in there and read the stuff and translate it. And so she really put some language and structure and categories and kind of broke it down for us in a way that we can now actively use in therapy. So, I mean, it was it's amazing. It's like this dense scientific material. And she kind of did this, like, let me create some resources around this. And boom, you and I and even, you know, clients can just start using it just like that. So she really broke it down. So that was where I first got my polyvagal training back in 2017 which just I walked out of there like what the hell did I just learn (laughs) yeah okay it's gonna be different now and my practice changed pretty immediately yeah
0: thanks Deb if you're listening I got to meet Deb at one point too
2: (laughs) and she was lovely that's right Mm -hmm, yeah mm -hmm. she's got that ventral regulating voice Mm -hmm, mm so yeah yeah (laughs) well
0: We're running out of time and I want to make sure to ask you the important questions before we go. Do you consider yourself a healer?
2: I think I was stumped on this one the first time you
0: asked. I don't know. (laughs) You haven't
2: come any further. It's all right. It's all right. Somehow saying I'm a healer doesn't land for me. But maybe something like, am I committed to facilitating healing or something like that? There's something, there's a different version of that word that I think would land better. Mm -hmm. Healing, is like in my healer, that means I'm doing something active and I view what I'm doing as an invitation Mm -hmm. to be part of a healing process.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And how about wounded healer?
2: Mm. Yeah. I mean, I think like a lot of folks, I got here because I had my own really messy journey to go through first. That I'm still working through, you know. Mm-hmm. Got my lovely, lovely therapist working with me on a regular somatic experiencing. It's pretty good stuff. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the healing is ongoing. The healing is our forever work. Have you ever met a therapist
0: who wasn't wounded? I like. I'm suspicious of people who are like, "I had a great childhood."
2: <laughs> I'm like, "What? Were you paying attention?" <laughs> Well, yeah, the question I think is Have you met a therapist who has not been able to, who doesn't have awareness of their wounding? Yes. I have met lots of therapists like that who wouldn't name that they're wounded. Yeah, I've met them. Are they wounded? Yeah, just as much as the rest of us, probably. I find that so dangerous. Like,
0: I've realized that is one of my big triggers. And part of the reason that I started this podcast was out of anger at those folks who refuse to do their own work. And I find it dangerous. And it just goes back to like, I am angry at my parents for not doing their healing work, which then harmed me, right? So it's sort of this like meta way of trying to save more people (laughs) by, you know, inviting as many therapists as possible to sort of wake up to this recognition
2: of our own wounding. And it's so important. It's crucial to me. It really is. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it can be, it's reckless Mm -hmm. to not be doing one's own work and to be doing the trauma work because I don't know anyone who's unscathed by some type of attachment, trauma, neglect, big T, little t, trauma, um, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't, you know, we can argue about the word trauma. Our nervous system shapes up by experience and our nervous system is going to keep us in a pattern of protection instead of a pattern of connection in some realm in our life. And that's going to get in our way. Yeah. You know, relationally and if we're doing clinical work. Absolutely. Mm.
0: Mm. Pull that quote out. The pattern of uh, protection instead of the pattern of connection. That is a very good quote. That comes from Deb's work. Yeah. I believe it. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't think it was the first time you said it. <laughs> <laughs>
2: it is not. So thanks it again, Deb. from a slide.
0: <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Well, this went really fast. And yeah. is there anything we didn't talk about or didn't say that you feel like you want to make sure listeners walk away with in terms of polyvagal or you or
2: any of it? No, I don't think so. I mean, I am open to my whole, you know, vibe is, is helping clinicians bring this in. And so I'm just trying to put more content out there and mm-hmm. give consultation groups for beginners for experienced folks for all kinds i'm doing you know trainings as much as possible there's lots of other information out there to access so just you know my door is open to i'm sure you have like a bio with website and stuff um Mm -hmm. to to reach out and i'm pretty passionate about bringing people into the loop on this nervous system stuff so do you have the consultation groups on your
0: website so people can join I do. I do. You should sign up. You guys, you should do it. <laughs> yeah. Well, so what, just say it out loud, too, for people who are like in the car Googling right now. Don't do it while you drive. But
2: yeah. Pull over. Don't. And then go Google. Google and drive. The name of my practice is Modern Mind and Heart. And so the website is modernmindandheart.com. I also, I should mention, pretty soon there's going to be, it's, it's uh, entitled Polyvagal Prompts. And it's, uh, it's not technically a journal, but it's co-authored with Deb. And we did it because we really wanted to have like an entry level, both entry level and for those who are already well in the practice and well in the know, a way to continue that sort of self-reflection practice mm. on an ongoing basis. So we kind of created this and it should be out pretty soon. I don't know when exactly because I'm just like sitting on my hands waiting, but it yeah. should be really soon in the next few months. So and that's another book. resource. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah polyvagal props yeah amazing
0: well thank you for being here thanks for doing it again I'm sorry that technology thwarted us but I think this was just as good if not better than the conversation we had before totally different vibe and, yeah. and direction and it felt really good so thanks for having me awesome you're amazing like wires
1: I'm Sarah Bueno, and I'm Ann Remy Thanks to our guests for an amazing conversation today. To find out more about today's guest, you can visit www.HeadHeartBizTherapy.com podcast. You can find Sarah at, at HeadHeartBizTherapy on Facebook
0: and Instagram. And you can find Anne at, at Spare Room Wellness or spareroomwellness.com. Thanks as always to Andrea Klunder and the Creative Imposter Studios for editing, to Liam O'Donnell for the album art, and to Ben Mueller for our theme music. Until next time, bye-bye.